Hi, welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast with your hosts, Kelly and Jessica. Join us on our journey to find the best versions of ourselves. Kelly, I know that we're obsessed with longevity, um, having glowing skin, um, healing our gut, and I love Warrior Strong Wellness products. Um, we love, we talk all the time, the multi-collagen protein powder, the collagen tides and bone broth. But I'm also obsessed with the ashwagandha. Um, it really helps me manage my stress levels and stay calm. Um, Kel, are you adding ashwagandha into your routine, your supplement routine? I am. Jess, you remember I was having all these like stressful, this stressful situation happening with my kitchen reno and yeah. I started taking two of these a day in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed a level of calmness that um, I'm able to sustain throughout the day that really helps me not feel so anxious. Yeah, I was taking two in the morning and two at night. I stopped taking my two in the morning because I was like, is this really doing something? And then it like my I feel it, you know, when you wake up and you're stressed, you kind of feel it in your stomach, you feel it in your chest. Just taking two in the morning really helps me feel calmer. Um, and if you check it out on Warrior Strong Wellness, coupon code chasing brighter that's one word chasing brighter for 10 percent off kelly and i are so excited to have my friend amy chinitz join us today amy is an lcsw a certified con mari consultant and the founder of spark joy new york she has helped hundreds of clients to declutter their homes while also helping them to cultivate a joyful clutter-free future Amy supports clients through the process of the KonMari method. She has three master's degrees, as well as years of experience as an emotional care professional in both community social services and private practice settings. She helps facilitate ease, readiness, calm, and acceptance for clients who are going through transitional moments in life. In addition to her work as a KonMari consultant, Amy serves on the board of her children's schools, parent and teacher association, and has performed stand-up comedy. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here to talk with you and your listeners. This is so exciting. I mean, we want to get into some stuff, but I just need to uh, go back here to this stand-up mom comedy. And I'd love to hear how that came about. That's a funny question. Yeah, it's really started when my first daughter, who's now 10 and a half, was born. And just all the ridiculousness of being a mom like just the material just kept coming. So I I was writing it down and I knew I was building an act for mom comedy because it's just so absurd, the stuff that happens to you. So I, I just couldn't figure out what to do with the material. So I opened myself up to the idea of performing. And when I got a call to enter into a a laugh off competition. I was just so excited. I was jumping up and down and my whole really life philosophy is to do what sparks joy. And I just recognized that reaction to myself that it made me so happy to consider doing that, that I just had to say yes. And I went out there and um, it really, I think I may be retired from stand up <laughs> comedy, but it was, it was a great um, experience. It was really fun. So were you competing with like other comedians then? Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. And they didn't really appreciate that I was just kind of doing it as a, mm. you know, a one-off thing. And some of them were more serious. So I kind of wanted to step out of the ring, but it was, it was a fun um, bucket list type of. Experience. I think that's so amazing and takes so much courage. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's so awesome. That's so fun. So did you feel, um, was there like an audience were you getting a lot of laughs and feeding off of that? Yes. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think every mom can relate to just, you know, the constant unexpected hilarity that I was talking about. Like one, one joke I remember was about picking the kids up late and that, oh yeah, you know, I think finally figured out the trick. All you have to do is be super consistent with picking them up late. And then you come one time, like when the rest of the kids' parents are there and you're the best mom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, we do. We do our best. It is true where it's like you, they get adjusted to a routine so much, and then you kind of create your own monster in some ways too. So it's funny as with me, like with the leprechaun, like St. Patrick's day and the leprechaun came when Wes was three because his teacher said the leprechaun needs to come. And so now my kids expect the leprechaun to show up every single year. It's very tragic. Created <laughs> that monster. <laughs> so, um, why don't when you why don't we start though with you guys talking about how you two know each other? Yeah, yeah Amy and I went to grad school together. Yeah, we were in social work school together. And one mm-hmm. thing that I really always loved about social work is that it it allows you to really do whatever you want with it. You could go from like really direct practice counseling all the way to community services and resources. I've really bounced around, but always identified as a social worker primarily um, because I just like at its core feel that being a social worker means helping to connect people to resources. So I, yeah, I still feel like, I, I'm- yeah, I think a hundred percent, I think you're just that personality or you're not, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, even in my private life, if someone like has an issue, I'm like, oh my gosh, did you see this? Or did you try this? Or, and <clears throat> I think the master's in social work is like one of the best degrees. If you want to be in a helping profession because of that, because of the flexibility, you're not pigeonholed in. Um, and, and like, we were just talking, like we have, friends all over the country all over the world doing all kinds of things um and that and um anyways but that's where we met um at Penn and were you already because you have three graduate degrees ma'am and so were did you do a dual degree there when you were when we were there I did I did a master's in Jewish communal service at the same time as my social work master's and then I Stayed and did a master's um, in nonprofit NGO leadership. Oh, okay. okay. A few different schools at Penn. Yeah. I mean, and it just, I studied macro practice and I was going to go run a nonprofit. Yeah. And then, like, I got a job immediately doing being a therapist. 
And I've been a licensed clinical social worker since then. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I kind of went like macro and then back down to micro um, level, you know, direct practice too. But um, but what I'm doing now actually does have broader implications. So I'm excited to be, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be comfortable in both those settings and practice. Yeah. And so you had been doing, you know, community social services, social services and private practice. And then um, how did it come about that you um, ended up, you know, becoming a certified Conry consultant? Yeah, um, it was kind of a, like a pretty um, unique path, but the first field placement I actually did in social work was um, home visits to elderly clients living below the poverty line in Philadelphia. And then as a hospital social worker, where my focus was on this psychosocial environmental assessment to determine people going home to safe environments, it started to really just be in my awareness more and more that it was important to discuss clutter because it is such a common issue that causes people really a lot of strife in so many ways, including and especially for older people who, you know, can have safety issues with Mm. clutter. And then there is also this kind of more, um, existential reason for older people to clear the clutter because they get like stuck in one place and the clutter stops them from being able to move or um, fulfill their vision for what they really want in the next, you know, or last season of their life. So I really have had this affinity towards working with older people um, since the beginning of this work, but it did feel like a natural transition going from those clinical um, roles in people's homes to now what I do, which is actually online decluttering coaching, but I'm still serving primarily baby boomers and people who are um, really have decades worth of clutter and a lot of pain because I feel especially equipped to help them as a social worker with like that unique background. I bet just because of the mental health aspects and the like social, emotional, you know, the ties that we just put as a society on stuff, huh? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the majority of Americans, the last statistic I heard was 65% of Americans identify clutter as a major source of stress. So this is something that most people have in common. We have these attachments to things. We're really good at accumulating stuff, but we don't know how to let go of it. But yeah, then like there are these gradients of like hoarding disorder where you assign value to things and then it becomes harder and harder to part with them. So yeah, that's what I, I try to help people. So you kind of, you know, going through that work, um, 
with your with your placement internship, um, becoming aware of uh, you know, the home environment from a safety perspective and then an emotional perspective. And then um, how how does that um, or, or how does that connect or intertwine with um, like being a con, like a certified Conmarie consultant? I'd love to hear more about that. And if you can talk about the founder for any listeners who might not be familiar, um, that would be great. Yes. So, right. That's the next part of the story. So I have a friend locally in Long Island who's the social worker and um, we connected in a mom's group when our our daughters were little about, I guess, 10 or 10 years ago or so. And we were both reading Marie Kondo's first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And Marie Kondo is this um, Japanese organizing expert who has that uh, Con- the KonMari method and her tagline is, does it spark joy, really? So that's how people know about it. And um, my friend w- had either was going through the, the process or she was already um, had done it. She was part of the first training of Kanwari consulting. Mm. And she actually, I think did her training in Hong Kong. So she was maybe the first English speaking Kanwari consultant. And now uh, we're all over the world, but I am SparkJoy New York. There's like SparkJoy Tokyo, SparkJoy Chicago, um, just because of when I got into it. But I kind of got connected through my friend and we shared this feeling that social workers would be the best, you know, people to be KonMari consultants Mm -hmm. because the method really is led by what sparks joy for you. And it's not about how home looks. It's about how home feels. And there is so much self-discovery. And I, I talk about it as this beautiful process of life review through the examination of your possessions and that life review that process it's very there's a lot of emotional work there so um the clinical skills really come in handy to help people open up and explore their thoughts feelings and behaviors so that we can change them and then this process of going through everything in your home is also a transformation. There's no like going back to clutter. I don't even associate as the professional organizer. I'm really a social worker with this KonMari certification because I use the KonMari method um, with my clients, but it's only one piece of what I do. I kind of have these three pillars in my online coaching program, Tidy Mind, where you get your mindset ready to do the work and explore anything that you know is coming up for you. Tidy House, which is the method to follow. And that's where the KonMari method fits in. And then Tidy Life, where we're making sure that you have the new systems in place and new habits and new criteria to maintain and sustain like your ideal lifestyle to get to what you really want in life. Like the application of 
the method beyond your staff. So with that, like with your um, client, do you call them clients who you work with? Okay. So with your clients going through that, I mean, what's, what's the duration that they typically work through? I mean, on average, it probably varies quite a bit, I'm guessing. Well, I have actually developed a signature program, which is a okay. 12 weeks. And, you know, I really found that that really is a good amount of time for most people. A lot of people call me when they really need to do it. Like they're like, I'm moving. They're desperate or whatever. Yeah. It's like an urgency. It has okay. to happen now, you know, or I'm having... Like I need to sell the house or mm-hmm. um, so they, it could take years to do this. You could do it slowly, but it's better to have these like time boundaries in place so that you really get it done because you're learning and you're, you're implementing it. Mm-hmm. And I guide people and I show them exactly what to do and we're, you know, prompting action steps and goals and making progress towards your goal. I meet with my clients three times a week for accountability and I get them through. Like it's not like someday maybe you'll be decluttered. Like I will get you to your goal in 12 weeks. Okay. I mean, I just, Kelly, we need to get this for mom. I'm only thinking of mom. I I don't know if you're doing that. Especially they're in their last season. (laughs) Well, I have like, well, and, and then just, um, Side, I just have a, a quick side note. I'm not trying to make this a necessarily about mortality, but have you heard of that? Someone told me there's a, a show on TV right now called um, Swedish Death Cleaning. Yeah, that's a book too. The oh, okay. Have you heard of this, Kelly? Mm-mm. It's just like in in that area um, of the like world culturally, where it's like, uh-huh. yeah, like you're cleaning things out so so your family doesn't have to. which is common that people start to do as they get older except for our mother except for her closet I think but I think for boomers this is my question and maybe this is like way too general but because they are so close I suppose depending on where you are in the boomer area when you were born but it's like you know um my parent my dad talks about um ordering things on a train and it would come six weeks later right they didn't have access my mom said um, around the holidays, they would get like an orange and a banana, right? They did not have access to all of the things that we have access to. And so <clears throat> I know that's like, and then to have the means because their parents were in the Great Depression, their parents were immigrants. Um, and so it's like um, things, I don't know if that's like a status or it feels good. They can do that. They can afford it. They can have these things. And then it's like, again, kind of only thinking of, you know, the boomer, we know closest our parents, uh, then, um, I know it's, it's difficult then, um, to let go of that. Very difficult. Yeah. And then do you think about, um, the evolution of that? Sorry, let's get real deep. Um, the evolution of that as us, as our generation where, so we grew up, I mean, I didn't feel like we had a lot of stuff, but like there was stuff, we were, we're like a stuff generation. And then we're the beginning of this stuff, right? Because. Yeah. Before the pandemic, I used to do this in people's houses. And I mean, I have cleared out houses of like 
people who just had museums of toys, Wow, from, you know, from like the seventies and eighties and like it, it was fascinating, but yeah, there's so much history that you can line this up with and transgenerational trauma, like, you know, stuff means home to people who are immigrants sometimes. And Mm. it does get really deep. And then our attachment to things like gifts and the stuff with sentimental value that I have things in my house that like my my grandparents brought from Europe and it's just, it's really people often describe it as a burden and like with real heaviness, the stuff and that it's hard to make these decisions. So one thing that's really beautiful about the KonMari method is it acknowledges that some things are hard to let go of And some things are easy to let go of. So what we're really doing is learning how to make the decisions of what to keep and what to let go of according to like how it makes you feel. So if it's something that really like makes you so proud of your heritage and like it's so precious to you and it has sentimental value the KonMari method would say clearly keep that with confidence but if it's something that you're holding on to and you have a a feeling of like guilt that's associated with it that I can't throw this out because it's a gift or something then we don't we let that go with gratitude because you can't we're looking to curate surroundings and a a life that sparks joy like that you're looking forward to so like that burden I would like to talk about butt pans okay so um there are (laughs) your face Jesse the look of your face is awesome but so you know just in general which is like the idea of things in your kitchen that you don't use regularly that you maybe entertain once every many years, even like Christmas, you host Chris, I cross Christmas for my husband's family every like seven years or something like, how do you, what would, how would I navigate those types of items? So like bunt pans, like how often do you use a bunt? Actually, I don't even have one anymore because I think after a while, my husband was like, dude, like, just give it up. You're not using it. Why we even have it? It's taking up space. Buy it when you need it. But like, that's the thing is there's this weird thing where, yeah, you could always buy stuff when you need it. But what if I then, why wouldn't I just keep what I have or something? So the things that you don't use often, but like that don't maybe make sense to get rid of, but I don't feel like I'm emotionally attached to them. Okay. Yeah. So it really always comes down to that one simple question. Does it spark joy? So when you do you get excited to host that holiday? Does it maybe prompt you to say, hey, where, where are we in that seven-year cycle? Like, let's, you know, make people aware that we're going to do it. Like, I got a bunt pan here that I've been holding on to for six years. So, or does it make you feel like, oh, I'm only holding on to that because I'm going to have to do Christmas? And, um, and 
Okay. Like if you don't, if it doesn't spark joy, then we let it go with gratitude. And that's gratitude with what you're learning in this moment, gratitude for the ways that you did use it, for the like learning, the lesson that this is not the kind of thing you should be collecting. Um, and the other thing I would say about like letting it go mm-hmm. and not having it when you need it is that there's another opportunity there that when you let go of something and you don't have it when you need it, then you ha- you couldn't knock on a neighbor's door or, you know, oh, okay. online, like yeah. anyone have a bunt pan that I can borrow and there's an opportunity to like create community. I like it. So I like how- that. And I, um, I want to go back a little bit to the burden thing. And I think that, I don't know. I, anyways, that just resonated with me and I do feel burdened by things. It's different. I live in the suburbs in a big house. Kelly was in a condo for a long time and now is in a big home. So I think it's different because I think for a long time, Kelly had to really, um, right. Kelly, like you had very limited space, yes. but it's like, I've had a lot of space for a long time. And then that, you know, allows for you to accrue many things. Um, so I really like that burden thing. And I think for me, and I think for a lot of people, the emotions come from like family traditions, your children. And so I think, um, how do you, um, I, I, I saw somewhere that we have like a scale, I don't know, Amy, if there's anything you use, but like a tolerance for clutter. So some of us have a very high tolerance, some of us very low tolerance. So if you have children who have a very, high tolerance for clutter and things. And it's very important to them to have their things. How do you impart on them that idea of joy? And we've been um, decluttering and my eight-year-old is like, why? Why? Why, mom? Because my daughter decluttered and how she decluttered was putting her things in the eight-year-old's room because then he wanted the toys. She's 15. She's like, I'll give him all my stuffed animals. And then you can't see the floor. And so I was trying to explain, but really, I don't have a good answer. So how do you answer that? Like, why? Oh, I do like um, the concept of decluttering and KonMari with kids. And Marie Kondo, believe it or not, wrote a book for kids. It's called mm. Kiki and Jack's The Life-Changing Magic of Friendship. Oh, so yeah. she uses that analogy. Um of like best friends, like, and I think the lesson, and actually kids are really good at this. They can line up their toys in order of what they love the most. And and you'd think that kids have a high tolerance for clutter, but Everything that I've seen and read really shows that um, they're accepting of their environment, like however it is, like they're probably more tolerant than us of of things like being out of place, but they do really thrive when they have a more well-curated collection. Yeah. So... Yeah, kids really can participate and they can be better 
than adults at this. And there are, there are ways like to explain um, that we just really want to clarify and make sure that we have time for like the things and even the people in our lives that spark the most joy mm-hmm. and the socks and, you know, making the decisions about what clothes to keep really can be applied beyond your stuff. And it's like about um, choosing activities that you're excited Uh to show up for, for your schedule and people in your life that, that spark joy and make you feel good too. So you're saying that in some ways, so for kids, um, it can be a learned, um, activity for them as well. How do you, so one of the things I think about with this too, is what I was calling when I was like thinking about talking to you was the spark joy meter. So, right. Like, how do you talk to us about even that journey that you see with your clients in terms of like, how they hone in right on the things. Cause at first it's very difficult. Right. And then next thing you know, the whole pile is in the keep pile and <laughs> you have to go back to that. Right. So w- what have you seen in terms of that transformation with your clients? Yeah. My favorite client is my grandma, Shirley, who just turned 96 this week. And she like had decades and decades worth of junk that she kept and when I helped to move her from like her apartment to an assisted living facility we had to get her to like narrow it down and hone in more right because she was like that sparks joy that sparks joy (laughs) and I'm like I know but you know now that we have limited space we have to choose things that spark the most joy and those boundaries really are helpful for people like a time boundary or a space mm-hmm. boundary and um yeah like she would rather have just kept all the bags filled with recipes and like whatever else like plastic spoons were <laughs> you know but but really it it made her like think really hard about this stuff and enjoy the process of like reminiscing about things, even that chance to like remember things again and thank them again as she decided to part with things. Um, And we actually just moved her from assisted living to a nursing home. So now the things that are left, you can imagine are so precious and treasured that, Mm. and she is just surrounded by like, like the most joy sparking items. And really it's some art and photos and nothing else really was important when when you had to make those decisions, but it's, um, it's better to make, to hone in on your spark joy meter and make these decisions before you have to, before you're forced to, so that you're, even when you're in a big house, just like you're 
like everywhere you turn is just like your best stuff, like your, your, your hall of fame of books and in every category, like you're only wearing the clothes that make you feel like your best version of yourself. And there's no, there's no reason to wait. Yeah. I mean, I love the, um, a capsule wardrobe. Um, and so, um, I think, I think for me, and I, I think that is for a lot of people, um, uh, for me, that will be our final sticking point is the kids toys and things, you know, <clears throat> my older two are over toys, but you know, like things when they're a baby and the memories and <clears throat> to me, anyways, figuring out what to do with all that stuff. I do have a question. Um, uh, so you're, you're helping your clients and now it's um, all online. So my question is, is where do you recommend us or do you have top spots on where to take these things? If we choose, they're not bringing us joy and they're still functional items. Where do we take them? I am a huge fan of the buy nothing movement, which started in California and I'm, the moderator of my town's buy nothing group. And it's meant to be just a hyper local gifting economy. So mostly all of us are just on face Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. So the name of my town is West Islip. So I buy nothing West Islip. And I did like a little training through the buy nothing movement on how to set it up and what the rules are and everything. Um, but it's like um has those benefits of allowing you to just post something that you're really ready to let go of but you would prefer mm. that it has a new life with some other family and then you get to m- meet your neighbors through the exchanges and build community and also when you need something you can just say like Hey, does anybody have a bunt pan? Okay. You know, obviously there's like major environmental impact mm-hmm. decluttering. So as much as we can minimize stuff going into the landfill, um, the best place is always to gift what you're letting go of to someone who needs it or would enjoy it. So those are all like trades or just you're your offering that up like, hey, does anybody need size large women's sweaters and then someone just say yeah and they'll go get them and there's no cash exchanged we're just okay okay i need to get on this that is exciting to me because i do feel when you're putting it all in bags and just giving it to like a donation center i'm like where is that going is that doing anything and i had read something like that our clothes are shipped overseas and in third world countries they're paying for these shirts that we thought we donated to less fortunate people um and so i really love the idea and i do try if we know kids that are younger than my kids you know to kind of give those so you're right they have another life and that just feels better to me so um i love that there has to be one here and definitely where you're at kel so that's that's really cool yeah i really want to check that out because the other thing i have on my list is um it's called free cycling here in chicago because i have a lot of um like we just redid our kitchen. So I have light fixtures and things I didn't really want to throw away. Cause I felt like they had some value. I don't necessarily want to get money from them, but to your point, I want them to go on somewhere that people will use them. Um, 
I've had fun even I sold our uh, I've sold some things and I've had a lot of great luck with Facebook marketplace with it's not about necessarily making the money but I knew sometimes also depending on what it is putting the value on it um you know people really want it um I like the gift thing though I really want to I really want to look into that so um but I think to your point I absolutely love that community feel even when I anything I have sold, like I sold a couch. Um, it was a guy from the Ukraine who came over like a year ago, who started his started his own business. Like it just getting to know people and hearing their stories is, is such an awesome part of humanity, you know, where it, it I love connect. It feels great when you can connect with other humans on that and know that, know that it's going to a better place. So that's cool. Yeah. And that's something that I just, love so much about the work that I'm in. I just feel so lucky to be in the position to hear the stories of where things came from and, you know, what means the most to you in terms of like what you, you know, what you've collected over a lifetime. And um, it's, it's not just junk like that. Most people have a hard time letting go of it's all these emotionally complex attachments that we have to the things that we accumulate over time and there's so many sources and so many stories so um yeah I feel really privileged to be in a position to help people guide people through that Kelly and I read the book um the good life and it talks about the key to happiness being healthy relationships. And I know that's something intrinsically as a clinician that I've identified and it's really validating to see that. And so it sounds to me too, like so much of the work that you're doing, and and I don't know if this is correct, but that it's like, get out of your stuff, (laughs) like, you know, live your life and make connections. And if you're making connections and living in joy, um, these things kind of don't, um, aren't as meaningful after yeah. you're able to make connection. Right. And that's what I talk about in my like first consultation with people. Like, why do you want to do this? You have to have a burning reason why. And it, you know, it can't just be like that. You're read, like you want, you're thinking about decluttering and you think it would be good. It's like you, um, you really have to have a vision or I can help you to make it if you don't have it, but a vision for your life that's different. And that's um, usually honestly like less stuff and more room for people and relationships, like you're saying. And I heard that episode in, and uh, of your podcast and I know um, I have to, I have to get the book now, but <laughs> Right. It, that is the most important thing is, is your relationships. And um, as you get better at making decisions, you, that really gets clarified, like what really is important. And that's why a lot of the time, the biggest pain point that people come with is how the clutter impacts their social relationships in, either like it's a family member who's saying, mom, you're a hoarder, like, and that really hurts someone's (laughs) feelings or just like, I hear a lot that 
people feel embarrassed or ashamed of what they're hiding behind that bedroom door. And it stops them from inviting people over. And someone said to me recently, like, how could I ever get married? Like, I have all this stuff. I could never let someone into my home. And that's really the most important reason that the clutter is in your way of forming bonds and connecting with people. Yeah. So with that too, like, do you, I mean, that's a big, so that's gotta be really challenging for a lot of people. Right. And, um, are they coming to you that they are already mentally kind of made up their mind that they need to go through with this or, are you, cause sometimes people need more like mental help, right. Than even what you might be able to provide them within, like, how do you kind of navigate some of those conversations? Yeah. So people, I, I have, um, on my website, I have a webinar that I want people to go through before booking a call with me. Okay. And that explains um kind of what we do in the process but also it prompts you to really ask yourself like are you serious because it's it is important to recognize that you know a lot of the pushback I get is like shouldn't I just be able to do this myself (laughs) like people are hesitant to get help with this because it's like they just feel bad guilty about not being not like being able to activate on the book by themselves um but really like one of the easiest things you can do in life is pay to get help with something that you're having trouble with. So I, yeah, I I hope that people come into my consultation, like realizing that I don't have the results, you know, in chronic disorganization, we say there's like these three criteria that really qualify you for needing help. And that's, you've had the problem over a long period of time you've tried and you've failed to do it on your own and it's impacting the quality of your life. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking questions in that consultation to help people understand the real cost of the clutter in their lives. Like there's an emotional cost. There's usually a financial cost, um, time lost and relationships is one of the biggest ones. Um, Also, when people are entrepreneurs, their business, like how, how is this stopping you from doing whatever your goals are in life? And when you see that really the cost of the clutter is going to far outweigh like the financial investment in to getting support for yourself, um, Hopefully, like people are willing to make that uncomfortable decision and decide to, you know, become a client. Yeah. Well, it's them being vulnerable then to you as well. Right. And because of the shame or the embarrassment or whatever, and just being able to know that it's, 
it's okay to not be okay. Right. And it's okay. And you can, you got to start somewhere, right? That's a cool thing about online help too, online coaching, rather than having someone come into your home, because there's a lot more vulnerability when you have someone with you. And um, our first session, once you like sign on is a home tour. So that's scary to people. And if you really can't do it, you can keep your camera off, but it's still important and you can't heal from shame alone. Mm -hmm. So letting someone in, and I'm so sensitive to that. And I am the most gentle coach. And I really see this as the opposite of something really much more harsh, like just getting a dumpster and losing all your stuff when it's right. too, you know, or you have to do it quickly. So um, if you really do want to take the time to go through things thoughtfully and um, you have a really good reason, like you're not just thinking about it, but you have to do it now, then um, I, you know, I, I ease, I help people ease into it with that, like focus on how we're, how we're feeling in the space. How do we want to feel in the space? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what activities do you want to enjoy there? And it's really a positive future focus. And I like to think of it as a treasure hunt for the, the stuff that you want to keep. And the focus is on choosing what sparks joy, not like getting rid of stuff, like mm-hmm. where other methods would be focused on like minimalism, like get stuff out, you know, but this is a focus on what do you want to keep? What is the most important to you? And so even though it's scary and you do have to be vulnerable, the emotional benefits really Mm -hmm. are apparent and felt even at the beginning of the process when you open yourself up. Yeah. And it sounds like in those cases too, and this is where it's so, I think, critical of your background, right? Um, Because that's about someone being like their worst critic, right? Like we are tougher on ourselves and we are of other people. Like we could walk in someone else's house that might be cluttered and not think anything of it, but we don't want anybody in. And then like what you're saying is, is that's representation of how they're living all of their life. And then they're not open to others and and relationships and things like that. Yeah. I liken tidying your home as um, really side by side with self-care. I have a a module in my, you know, video library. I have an online training um, platform with videos about tidy mind, tidy house, tidy life. And one of them is taking care of yourself and taking care of your home. And really, yeah, they're all, they're all, all these things are connected. And so for you, what would you say um, would be some tips for people who, who want to get started? Um, How can they get started? So I think the first step for everyone is 
to assess your mindset because it really, the first thing that you have to do is approach tidying as self-care that you're doing this with the best intentions that you're putting a flag in the ground the clutter that you have right now is just a reflection of delayed decisions it's just data now it's not a reflection of your self-worth and we have to start from this place of really forgiveness for whatever you find, acceptance. And it's then a journey towards, you know, gratitude and ultimately self-love. So the first thing to do is really commit to it. And that has to be really in a holistic way where you're, um, you're deciding that you're going to take care of yourself and create a different future for yourself. Yeah, I love that. It's so Me true. Too. It starts from within. Mm-hmm. Such a different way of thinking about things. And it's such a, you know, a way that, like you're saying, it's a very approachable, disarming, right, way of of looking at it. I love and that. I think, <clears throat> I think, hearing that I need to hear that over and over, but like, I've been trying to really minimize, minimize in 2023. And I think that sometimes I get overwhelmed and stuck. And I think if I continue to think, okay, what brings joy, what brings joy? And I love this idea of borrowing and, and posting thing, you know, and it's just like, not like Kelly gave that example of right. The bunt pan of just like, it's not, it's okay to not have something temporarily and you can always borrow it or you can, you know, when that time comes, but don't want to be holding on to all these things for this. What if moment? Um, because at that moment, it probably is not bringing us joy. So I really like that. Yeah. And when you're feeling overwhelmed and stuck to also make sure that you are following a process, like it starts with the commitment but then you also have to have a proven method to follow. So if it's the KonMari method, that's awesome. If it's the Swedish art of death cleaning, that's cool too, but you have to have a process and support. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I mean, I think that's the challenge too, is that the support, the like lifelong, right. Um, For a lot of us who are used to maybe doing a purge of some sort once in a while, but having that system in place to really maintain, maintain it, put it into a perpetual practice. Because once you've established that the only thing that really should be coming through your door has to pass the joy check, you know, it's going to change your shopping habits and you're going to have these new criteria that will make it organic to keep it up. So that's why we think of this as a once in a lifetime event. Marie Kondo calls it a tidying festival. And if you have to do it quickly, I call it a tidying marathon. So that's possible Mm -hmm. also, but it's like there's an order that like there's six rules to the KonMari method, just the quick 101. It's commit to tidying, tidy by category, not location, follow 
the categories in the right order, choose what sparks joy, discard the rest with gratitude. And the last rule is that all storage is temporary. So that, you know, you have to let things flow and you don't really know where things are going to be stored until the end. So just like stay playful through the process, but that there really is a beginning and an end that you want to do this as like thoroughly as possible. Mm -hmm. And then you can edit your categories over time. but. I know I had to go through that process in my house in order to be with photo proof to be accepted into the training program. Oh, cool. Amari. And, you know, we, we really did it in my house. And even though my house was still like had too much stuff after my first tidying festival, it really felt like everything sparked joy and we were able to just welcome guests in at any time because everything that like did have a home from that point on Mm -hmm. so it's super easy to tidy up quickly like when you want to for a guest and you're always just joy checking and making your criteria more specific over time and really living the lifestyle um of you know pursuing joy and and making sure that like your lifestyle and your home and your surroundings are really aligned with your values and the way you want to live i love that it's very aspirational for me i need to get to get there so this is inspiring hearing hearing what you say so thank you thanks for talking to us about this stuff this is awesome so much yeah thank you amy this was awesome so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. And if you love today's episode, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you.